Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Straight ahead on The Insiders, it's still about 10 months until Steve King tries to hold on to his congressional seat by first winning a Republican primary. But one of Iowa's most prominent social conservatives decided that he will no longer support King in this race for Congress. Bob Vanderplatz will be here and talk about his decision, as well as whether that immigration idea he talked about right here several months back is gaining any support here nationally. Plus, he makes a living as a comedian, but he wants you to give him a serious look at his campaign for president. That's who he is. His name is Ben Glebe. He will make his pitch. And in the Insider's Quick Six, what the Donald Trump brand, image, and presidency means for other Republicans who want to get elected in Georgia. Hello, thanks for being with us. Fourth District Congressman Steve King does not have a career in Congress that's meant a long list of bills that he sponsored that became law. He has had a career in D.C. since 2003, where social conservatives have supported his defense of one-man, one-woman marriage, fighting for babies by opposing abortion. He's done that for years. But one of Iowa's most prominent social conservatives has decided that King should no longer be in Congress after next year. That leader joins us now. He's Bob Vanderplatz, president and CEO of The Family Leader. Thanks for coming back. Thrilled to be here. Glad to stand up with you. Uh, I know. Kind of a new look we're trying out here. And I want to say, first off, you are here as Bob the guy, not (laughs) Bob the guy, the head of the family leader. I'm here in my personal role, Bob Vanderplatz, not in my professional role as president of the family leader. Okay. Can you help us understand how you came to this decision uh, to back King's primary challenger, Randy Feenstra? Well, as you know, I'm from the 4th District. Uh, Grew up in Northwest Iowa, uh, Sheldon, and uh, also lived in Sioux City for 16 years. I know these people really well. And when I called Congressman King to let him know that I was endorsing Randy Feenstra, I told Congressman King, this really isn't about you. Now, you may take it as about you, but it's not really about you. It's about the people of the 4th District. Uh, They need representation. Uh, Right now, Congressman King, uh, he's not even on a single committee. Even if he were to win re-election, I think he's marginalized at best. And I think it's time we put a proven conservative, which I believe Randy Feenstra has shown his street creds in the state Senate, uh, put him into Congress, and not only have representation in those committees, but quite frankly, the 4th District should have leadership on those committees, uh, being from the 4th District. So that's why I jumped in behind Randy, and Randy and I go way back. Uh, went to the same high school. He's a little bit younger than me, but we also went to the same high school. Uh- if you go back home to the to the district and talk to families back there, what is King not doing for those folks? You mentioned he's not on the committees, but what can you give us something specific where he's failing to bring it home? Well, I think what it is, it's not where he stands on the issues. I think uh, a lot of his stances on the issues, most of the people in the 4th District would applaud. But what it is, is that he has been incendiary. I mean, he's you know he's kind of been out there a little bit. His remarks have been out there, which caused him to be marginalized loses representation. A lot of people in the 4th District saying, you know, that doesn't represent who we are. 
matter of fact, they, they represent Iowa nice to a whole nother level, I think, in the 4th District. And so I think they're saying right now, it's just time to turn the page. And again, it's not against Steve King, but it's time to turn the page. Obviously, the primary is where the real race is going to be. Uh, and I think there's four in it right now. And I think Randy Feenstra is best position to win that. Uh, Congressman King's comments on race, on immigration, for you personally, and again, I got to point out you're here as an individual, not as a representative of your organization. Uh, how have you interpreted and how have you taken those? Well, I think what it does, it loses the message. Uh, I, I th again, what he's communicating might be fine, but how he communicates is a whole nother thing. And so if you're going to lose the message and then you lose your street cred on whether it be the immigration but issue. But is it hateful? Like some people are saying, is it hateful? Wait, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe Steve King is hateful. I don't believe that's in his Does heart. he think some people are better than other people? I, I don't believe that either. I, I really don't. I think he believes in the rule of law. I think he believes in the right process. But again, the way he says some things would lead outsiders. Not a lot of people know Steve King the way I know him. Uh, they don't get a chance to, to be in a car with him or see him in different in different venues. So they see that as maybe being hateful, some of that speech, being not representative of the people of the 4th District. And that's why I just believe the people of the 4th District right now, they deserve better, they need better representation. So I'm happy to support Randy. Um, as I mentioned, you're here as more the person. You're also here as a Christian, obviously, which you're always here as a, as a Christian. But um, you were here months back and you were talking about an idea you had for immigration. Remember talking about sure. this? Uh, I'm curious, as this whole country has gotten into an immigration debate like we've really probably never experienced, at least recently, the way President Trump has done this, uh, you know, in separating parents and children, we're seeing images of, you know, where kids are essentially in cages here. You had an idea where essentially you would like families to essentially sponsor sure. immigrants who want to come to this country. Has that found any traction. You know what happens in Washington, D.C. for too often, as a matter of fact, our country's right there. We're so polarized. We all go to each camp. And the fact is, the real answer is, I think, lies somewhere in the middle. That's why I wrote the op-ed for the New York Times. Also wrote another op-ed that was also published in the New York Times about separating families at the borders. You know, I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I think we can have a rule of law. I think we can process people at the border the way they should be processed at the border. But I think put Americans in charge. Let them determine. Let the prices determine. Let the Vanderplasses determine who it is that we want in this country. And then we sponsor them for a period of five years, seven years, whatever it is, and put them on a pathway to citizenship. But for the here and now, you see those images that are running right next to you in those screens here. How do we handle that? There is this huge rush of these of people coming from various countries to the border. And as we're trying to figure out, should they come in, should they not, asylum, not whatever, this, what do we do with these families and temporarily, what do we do? Well, I think, you know, you, you talked about me being a Christian, is you go back to the scriptures. It says, seek justice. So we should seek justice. We should have borders. We should have a rule of law. But then it says, love mercy. Meaning love mercy, I mean, you don't start separating families at the border. Now, if there's good cause, if people are using children for shields, but again, that's where you can walk and chew gum at the same time. And that says, walk humbly with your God. And really what that means is recognize there's a God and it's not you. You know, so walk humbly with your God. I think that'd be wise counsel to the people in D.C. right now wrestling with this issue. We can figure this out. And there's a lot of bright people who are willing to figure it out. We need to have the political will and courage to figure it out. Do you see either party leading on this? Not right now. I think we're doing too much red meat, too much rhetoric uh, and I think both parties would say, yeah, we need to have a solution at the border first and foremost. 
But now we need to be filled with the American spirit about how do we address the issue comprehensively that upholds the rule of law, but also allows immigration, the people that we want to have in this country, that they're in this country. All right, if you'll hang tight, we'll have you back here for the quick six at the end All of the right. show here. Uh, when we come back, as you know, we've had just about every 2020 presidential campaign represented here on the Insider So Far This Cycle. All right, next, we have another one. Meet the comedian who thinks you should take him seriously as a candidate for president. Hear what he says next. Donald Trump went from businessman and reality TV star to the White House. Well, Ben Glebe says he can go from stand-up comic and game show host to replace President Trump in the White House starting in 2021. Now, the president, as we know, did not have traditional government experience before he won the presidency. Well, Glebe is making the case that he doesn't have it either, but he shouldn't need it to become president. Although he says he's kind of making his case in a different way. He held a couple of campaign events over the past week in our state to introduce himself. And I talked to him about how serious he is about the chance to run against Donald Trump. All right, as you well know, we have more than two dozen Democrats running already, right? I had not heard that, really. Wow. <laughs> That's, that's what we that's call breaking news in the wow, news well, business. Well done, Dave. Why is there room for you? That's a very good question. I think that's a stronger question to ask one of the 24 Democrats that are already running who are old, entirely career politicians and multimillionaires. That voice we have plenty of. There's barely, even the two outside voices of Yang and Williamson are both multimillionaires and the rest have been in government for a very long time. My voice is completely different offering something, a very different approach to beating Donald Trump. And that is of, while I have the political background that is necessary to be president of the United States, I also have a skill set that none of the other candidates do to actually beat the greatest anomaly in American political history. And that is a man who is one of the most talented hecklers of all time. And the best, most surefire way to take down a heckler is with a comedian. And I'm the only one of those in this race. Uh, Next question, Dave. In comedy, timing is key, right? Mm -hmm. One of one of the things. Very um, true. All right, so talk about your timing. Why not do this six months ago, eight months ago, ten months ago, whatever, so you can kind of get established, qualify for debates, all those kind of things. That's a great question, and that is my one regret thus far is not having jumped in earlier. Um, I was definitely exploring it earlier and thinking about it, and I rejected the call for a while because I never had a very intense burning desire to be president of the United States, and I'm doing it out of a sense of civic obligation to try to help bring our country back from the brink of what I think is the greatest existential threat that we've ever had. And maybe since the Civil War, I think that we're at a time when every value that is dear to most Americans, Republican or Democrat, is being challenged and actively weakened every day by who I refer to as the orange monster in the White House. And so I wanted to do it but I knew all of the, the obstacles, all the roadblocks and the challenges of trying to mount a campaign in such a crowded field in such a difficult time. I've meticulously built a comedy career and that of an activist and an entrepreneur and a, and a political commentator for a long time and jumping into the fray to being the one trying to run for office instead of make fun of those who do is a big decision. And it took me a long time to decide that I had to do it. And also none of my other comedian cohorts were jumping in. If John Stewart ran, I wouldn't need to. But he's not, and so I feel like we need this other option presented to the American people. Because of what you do for a living, though, don't you think we should be a little leery of whether you're serious? I don't, because comedy stands for a lot of different things. And 
while certainly, especially these days, there's been a trend for comedy just to be silly, but the history of comedy is that of speaking truth to power. And many people these days don't even trust, no offense, the news media as much as they do comedians. That's why we've been turning to comedians for our news for a long time now. John Stewart was a more trusted name in news than any of the network news anchors or the cable news anchors. And people turn to John Oliver and Samantha Bee and Trevor Noah to get their news. And so if people are going for a source of truth and honesty to comedians, why would we not go to comedians for a source of truth and honesty and leadership in our nation instead of continually going to politicians who are known most significantly for lying a great deal and not doing what they say. And it's also worth noting that a comedian was just elected president in Ukraine by a landslide over the current president. Not suggesting any parallels at all here, but draw your own conclusions. All right, on the issues, he says he wants immediate action on climate change, wants a higher minimum wage, he wants a wealth tax on the really, really rich people with fortunes above $50 million, and he'd give some kind of monthly dividend to lower and middle class families. He says he's still working out the specifics of all of that. And you can watch that part of our conversation by going to the website, whotv.com. When we come back, what it's like to get someone else, a different person, to the White House. Senator Cory Booker's national campaign manager will be here on what the second round of debates mean and what's ahead. This is what we call a photobomb, Now. That's Jerry Jones on the left. He's a union activist from Newton. So he wanted the picture with Mayor Pete Buttigieg at an event. Look right between him. See the bald guy waving there? It's Cory Booker in the back uh, with the little photo bomb. Somebody our next guest knows well. So Booker's trying to stand out in that room, right? Well, he's also, of course, trying to stand out in this two-dozen-person Democratic field. His campaign has to make sure, of course, he doesn't just stand out, that he can actually win the nomination. So that's this next guest. <laughs> job. Adisa Denise is Booker's national campaign manager. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Dave. It's good right, to be back in We're getting right Iowa. off an airplane, so thanks for Let's go. It's all good. All right, so we just finished up the second round of debates yeah. here. Um, in such a large field like this, what does a high-profile event like this mean for a campaign? Yeah, look, I think it's obviously one of the few moments you have to, in an unfiltered way, deliver your message to 10 million people plus. Uh, and I think Corey did an excellent job of doing that yesterday. You know, what we saw from him uh, was uh, uh, an articulation of the fact, of, of the message he's been giving in Iowa since we launched and came here in February, which is that the lines that divide us are not as uh, strong as the ties that bind us. That's true for Americans, but it's actually also true for Democrats. And Donald Trump is the real opponent, the real enemy in this election. And he uh, took his opportunity on that stage to talk about what he's going to do, not just to beat Donald Trump, but to get us out of the darkness that Donald Trump has brought us into. Uh, as you know, millions of people will watch this debate and did watch this event, but many others will see moments of it, whether it's on the news, whether it's a social media clip. So can you give us a little insight into how you all prep for one of these things? Yeah. And, you know, clearly there are certain exchanges that are worked out ahead of time where you're thinking, all right, we want to make this point or, hey, I got a really good line. How do you how do you weigh that? And there has to be a certain genuineness here. Yeah. Right? Our, like we saw Eric Swalwell try to hammer yeah, Joe Biden. And obviously that didn't work. Right. Our, so how do you figure that yeah, out? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Our our philosophy from for this entire debate prep session was let Corey be himself. Let Corey be Corey. And ultimately, uh, you know, Iowans have seen that for the last six months since we've been in this race. They, they like what they see. We have the most endorsers uh, of any campaign. Our, our campaign is growing every day here in this state. Um, 
he's a good person and it comes through. And ultimately, if you prepare too much, if you script too much, people, voters can see that. And so Corey came out, he had fun, he smiled, he was himself. If he had to get into it, he got into it, but he did it with a, with a smile. And again, understanding that the real uh, opponent was not actually the person on that stage. We're picking a nominee, that's serious business, but we have to keep our eyes on the prize, like he said on Wednesday night, and that's ultimately beating Donald Trump. Uh, the shorter term prize, of course, would be the February caucuses yes. on February 3rd. We're still almost exactly six months away. Indeed. So if you, you know, you look at the way things line up right now, Joe Biden is at the top of most polls. And so you're trying, you know, you have four, five, six people, depends whose poll you look at in between you, right? Yep. So while you can sense, you know, and you all say that you find growing optimism and growing this <laughs> and growing that and all that kind of stuff. But, been in this game but, a while. <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, but so how do you assess where he he's clearly goes into a debate in a different position than maybe mm -hmm. like a Warren or a Biden would, right? So how do you look at what your end, what your goal is? Our, to be? our goal is February 3rd, first of all. And, you know, we're here in August. Like you said, we have six months to go. And we've been, you know, our mantra in this state and in this campaign is we're building brick by brick. And that uh, and that's what we went into the campaign, into the debate uh, this week thinking about. It was another brick in the in the edifice that we're, we're building, the organization that we're building in this state and across the country uh, to, to introduce Corey and ultimately win. But we're not focused on a poll in August of, of 2019. We're focused on winning in those caucus rooms in all 99 counties here in Iowa in February of next year. And that's what, uh, from John Kerry to Barack Obama, uh, you've seen win in this state uh, uh, in the caucuses. And I truly believe it's what's gonna pay off for us uh, come February. Half, excuse me, we have about half a minute left. But um, so he had the optics, the visuals of standing next to the former vice, vice president. president yeah. So how do you, do that comparison and still be deferential to the position. Yeah, Corey, look, he even said it in the debate himself that uh, it's, he respects the vice president, he likes the vice president, he certainly respects his service, at, not just as vice president, but in the Senate, but ultimately, uh, this is a competition. Cory Booker is, a, you know, an athlete, he's a competitive guy, and, and again, there are 10 people on that stage, 20 people over the course of two days. One of those folks is going to be the Democratic nominee for president. You have to just put your best foot forward and, uh, and uh, put your best self forward and ultimately let the voters decide. I think everybody has seen Cory Booker has said, I should say today, uh, that Cory Booker won that debate uh, uh, last night because he put his best self forward and put uh, the message that he's been putting forward to Iowans uh, pretty clearly. Although uh, I think I got nation. an email from every campaign saying they won. Yeah, well, uh, uh, check, check the tape. I can, <laughs> I can. I, <laughs> <laughs> All right, appreciate the time. Thanks, Thank Dave. You. Appreciate Probably you. See you at the fair. Uh, we'll see many, many candidates over at the Iowa State Fair over the next two weeks. When we come back here, we want to look back at an insider's prediction from the spring to see how two insiders did about their prediction about the fair's VIP visitors. We'll look at that when we come back. By my count, there are 24 Democrats running for president, at least as I speak these words. And we're not counting former Alaska Senator Mike Gravel, whose campaign seems to really be just a couple of young guys on social media, so we're not counting him as a real candidate. And no offense to comedian Ben Glebe, who we heard from earlier, but we're still waiting to see how serious he is. So that's where we get our number of 24. So remember the number 24. Now, if we go back to June on this program here in The Insiders, I asked Iowa Democratic Party Vice Chair Andrea Phillips, along with Iowa Starting Line founder Pat Reiner, to predict how many Democratic presidential candidates would still be in this race by the time the State Fair arrived. Here's what they said back then. How many candidates will be in the race by the time the State Fair hits in August? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to go with 19. Okay. Really? Mm -hmm. You're going up? Yeah. Oh, she was going to go down. We'll have people drop out. I don't know if they're going to drop out by then. 
Well, the first debate is in June, yeah. right? So I'm going to say 12. 19 and 12. Now, Pat was right. We did see Eric's wall wall drop off. But as of right now, we're counting 24. We'll see if that changes between now and the State Fair begins on Thursday. When we come back here, another prediction, plus whether Donald Trump helps or hurts Republicans in 2020 and how we can better support Iowans with physical challenges. Bob Vanderplatz is back with the Insider's Quick Six next. All right, time for the Insider's Quick Six. Bob Vanderplatz is back. Question one, will you vote for Donald Trump in 2020? Yes. Question two, will Donald Trump help or hurt Republican candidates in 2020? I think it'll be up to every individual candidate. I don't think it's gonna be relying on Trump. I think it'll be up to every individual candidate. Question three, what is the most important issue for you personally in 2020? That's a good question, one that I've not thought of. Uh, it has to be the sanctity of human life and religious liberty. Uh, question four, you ran for governor three times, so you know what it's like to be a candidate. You have advised candidates over the year. From what you've experienced, what is a quality that makes for a winning candidate? One that can really cast vision and show that I have the perseverance and the get it done attitude to actually accomplish that vision. And quite frankly, I think that's what gives Trump an advantage here. All right, question five. We don't talk enough about your son, Lucas. Um, he's overcome a lot of developmental challenges, right? Um, as a country, what do you think we should do better for those who are dealing with those daily challenges like Lucas? I think what you want to do is for everyone's an individual, creating the image of God. You want to maximize their personal potential, whatever that might be, and give them the, must, the utmost independence and dignity as well as trying to achieve their maximum potential. All right, finally, your prediction. My prediction is that I think after watching these debates, Trump might lose the popular vote, and it might be significant that he would lose the popular vote while winning a significant portion of the Electoral College and, and winning re-election. It'd be similar to 16 then. Yeah, but I think the spread could even be even wider. Be All right, Bob Vanderplas, appreciate the time. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for being with us. Let's stay connected throughout the week. We'll see you next time for The Insiders.